want to start with a scripture here. Proverbs 28.1 says this, the wicked man flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This is a powerful statement, and I, this morning I'm going to talk about righteousness. Um, we're going to stay in the, in the vein of from community to family. Uh, we're still in this series as we're going from maturity to unity to family, but there is something so important that I believe the Lord is just putting on my heart that we have to understand our own identity. We have to understand our own place, and I believe the Lord wants to just reveal things to a greater level. We might say, oh, I've got it, I've got it. I've got, we, I know what my identity is. I think that if we actually all knew our identity, we would see a revival like never before. Because when we understand our identity, we actually act and move and have our being in the power of the Holy Spirit nonstop, constantly. And so if we are all doing that, we are bringing heaven to earth like we've never seen before. So... Unless you think we're in the greatest revival ever right now and it's, we're in the middle of it, it's happening, I would say we, this is a perfect time to give us a better understanding of our own identity so that we can actually, from a macro level, have our, understand our position with the Father and from the micro level that we would understand our position in the family of God, in the body of Christ. It's kind of like if, if you think that you're a foot... Uh, actually, no, if you're, oh, I got this backwards. If you are a foot and you think you're a hand, uh, it's not going to work very well for very long being in the body of Christ if you're trying to walk on your hands, right? Who can walk on their hands? We got, okay, we got a few people. You're a gymnast. That's, uh, I've tried to walk on my hands. I get about like boom, boom, and then I'm crashing over. But uh, it doesn't, even for a gymnast, it's, it doesn't work very well for the long term. You get, you know, you're, your head starts to fill up with blood and, and, um, and you can't think and then you get dizzy and, and eventually your, your hands are not made to walk. So when we actually understand our position, when the foot becomes the foot and we go, oh, now we actually begin to function properly. But first of all, we have to understand this position that we have with the Father. And that's where this understanding of righteousness comes in. Okay, so let me just actually pray just for a second because I... I believe that there's a lot of revelation that the Lord wants to bring this morning, but revelation doesn't come from me speaking. It comes from uh, the Holy Spirit actually revealing it to our hearts. So, Father, I just ask right now, by your Spirit, that you would reveal to us in greater, give us that greater understanding of who we are in Christ. Lord, would you reveal to us this understanding of righteousness, our position that we have, and the things that we are actually supposed to accomplish on this earth. Lord, would you show us the good works that we have and the part that we play. Lord, would you reveal this to us by your spirit? We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Lord, I pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released into this place this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so y'all got it? I think we're good. (laughs) <laughs> we ended early. Uh, so, so who are we? Uh, if, if, if you're a believer, if you're a follower, if, if Christ is who you're following after and who you're believing in, then you can say, we can say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I don't think I have this one, uh, says God made him, 
Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the thing. I think a lot of us go, you go, well, who are you? Well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? And I, I, I've been hesitant to even speak on this because I'm like, oh, like, okay, I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but what does that mean? Have you, ever, have you ever like kind of taken it to that next thought, like that next level of, okay, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but like now what? Now what do I do? Maybe it's just me. But that's the, that's the thing that I've kind of been struggling with in a sense of like, okay, what is that? Well, I, I'm going to show you some things that I think are really cool that you're going to get to see this morning. By the way, I'm going to move quickly in this, and I have a lot of scripture to cover. This isn't going to be like fun videos, stories, and stuff. I'm going to just plow through some scripture here. So stay tuned. If you would, take some notes. You can kind of follow along with this thing, uh, but I have just a lot to cover. And we're going to dig back into this in greater detail, uh, but this is kind of like, I'm going to fly over here at mock speed. So you guys ready? Do it. Here we go. Uh, so definition of righteousness. Now, I would say this definition of righteousness that I have here, I pulled this from a combination of the Webster, the Vines, Strong's. Uh, when you look at righteousness, there's a thousand definitions. I mean, I was like, what? Like, it just kind of goes on and on and on. But here's, here's the definition that I kind of pulled from all of these. And it's a state, we do have that one, uh, a state of being right with God by the removal of guilt and the removal of the penalty of sin through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Accurate, but I don't think it actually fully explains what righteousness is. And I couldn't find anything that actually did as far as from a definition. And so um, I'm not going to give you the punchline yet. I'm going to take you through some things to, before we get there. So I'm going to dive into the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to go from Romans 1 through Romans 15. You guys ready? I'm just going to read it. No. Um, what I am going to do, you guys are like, you're serious. <laughs> what I am going to do is, is I want to take you through just a progression of understanding of what Paul teaches on uh, in, about righteousness in the Romans. The, if you look, I did kind of a word search on, on righteousness, and Romans shows up uh, more than four, to, or four times more than any other book of the New Testament. Uh, also, just some kind of fun facts. Righteousness, when Paul talks about righteousness in Romans, he mentions it more times in Romans than all the other books that he wrote, all the other letters that he wrote combined. Uh, so there is, there is, it is power-packed, filled with understanding and revelation of what righteousness is. And here's the thing. Paul, when he wrote Romans, he wrote this, it was around 57 AD. It's about 24 years after uh, Christ left the earth. And and this is the one book that he wrote or the letter that he, he wrote that was to all of Rome. Uh, every, other, every other letter that he writes, it's either to a brother, a sister, a, a soldier, a, uh, a church region. Uh, but this one he wrote to Rome. And, uh, and, and if you knew, knew Rome at that time, it was the most powerful empire and culture in the world. And so... He's, he articulates something. He puts this together and packages this together in such a powerful way. Uh, so the, the thing about Romans, if you've read it, is it's so deep. And it's like you have to, have to like pull it apart and, and 
and kind of meditate on it and dig into it. So I've been meditating on this, going through this for a week, and now I'm going to just blast through this with you guys in like 20 minutes. So bear with me. Your job, should you choose to accept, is to go back and actually study this for yourselves. (laughs) Okay? Got it? Here we go. Romans 1, 16 and 17, starting here. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Powerful statement. He's setting it up right up front. It is the power of God that brings salvation. So he's stating this up front, and then you're going to see him kind of go back into the Old Testament and explain this. He says, So it's first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel... Powerful statement here, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, they didn't have a New Testament at the time, right? But here Paul was writing Romans. So they had Romans, and they're reading through this for the first time. If you imagine, like, you're getting this letter, and now you're reading through this. You're in Rome. You're you're in this crazy culture, and and now you're seeing this whole new thing come to light that you've never seen before, before. So it says, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I want you to understand something here. This, this faith, it's actually interpreted, or another translation of it is from faith to faith. So it's, an, it's an, actually an ongoing faith. And then you see it where it says the righteous will live by faith. It's not the righteous will have faith once and then it's all good. There's actually a living by faith. It's, it's an ongoing progression of faith. So we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but just kind of setting, setting the stage here. So, um, all right, jump down with me now to uh, Romans 2, 12 and 13. And so this is pre-Christ. This is talking about God's judgment here. And Paul says this, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will will be declared righteous. So again, what Paul's doing here is he's setting, he's kind of setting up for the punch. It's for the the one, two, and then the boom, knockout punch here. Uh, and, And in this, it's interesting, Jesus is actually only mentioned once in the first two and a half chapters of Romans because he's really going back and setting the tone and it's, it's more of the Old Testament understanding where we were and how we had no hope and then, and then watch what he does here. So um, in chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, now he continues with this understanding of hopelessness. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, they have together become worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. Does that excite you? <laughs> Paul makes this dreadful point to everyone. Basically saying, guess what, guys? You're doomed. It's all over. Hope is gone. It's kind of like if there was a virus that came through and... And, uh, and it was killing off everyone that it hit. And the doctor comes up to you and says, ooh, I hate to tell you, you've got the virus. And oh, and by the way, there's really no cure for this thing. See ya. That's, that's what Paul is kind of doing right here in this moment. It's this place of hopelessness. And then he continues in it in verse 20, 320. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, 
we become conscious of our sin. And what we know is sin leads to death. So here we have, Paul's explaining, you have the law. What the law does is the law actually reveals sin. Sin leads to death. So again, not, not a good setup for, or not a good place for us to be in. But now this is the cool part. So you go into the next verse, 321. I have to say, this is probably one of the most powerful scripture verses in the Bible, uh, is these next few verses. This is the true, like, beginning of gospel identity, understanding things here. So he says, but now, so, hey, tides are turning, everything's changing. But now, a righteousness from God, or of God, apart from the law, so he's defining here, like, it's no longer under the law, it's been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Then he says this, This righteousness from God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And this this believe, that word believe is actually that present progressive. It's that continuing to believe. It's that committing to trust. It's putting your trust in, not just once. A lot of times we go, well, you know, you just say the prayer, you believe in God, and, and boom, you've got it. There is an ongoing, this is a, as we believe in God, as we believe in this, this is where the righteousness begins. This is where we become righteous, okay? So it says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is where he just, he's blowing things up in this, like, you have, if you understand the culture and the understanding of that time, he's literally blowing things up in these few sentences here. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all, get this, all are justified Freely by his grace. Grace is given to every single person. And I know we, we know that, but then we see that like person, we go, oh, that's a horrible person. They don't deserve grace. Guess what? You don't deserve grace. That's why it's called grace. <laughs> I don't deserve grace. But oh, that we have a father that literally extended his right arm so that we could have grace, so that we could come in and be in that family, in that relationship with the Father. Ah, I might get emotional in this because this is just, it's hit me so hard this week. Um, So we've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came only by Christ, Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received, what? By faith, by believing, by trusting. This is, this is the part that we play in this. It's a gift. We, it is freely given, but there is a part that we play in this. Okay? So there's a lot of points that Paul hits in this. Now, I want to I stop there and just go back so in Romans 3.10, it says there is no one righteous, not even one, right? And this is, this is pre-Christ. Uh, Paul also says in Galatians 2.21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So what's he saying? He says, if there's anyone that could actually gain righteousness by the law, then why did Christ come to the earth? Why did he die on a cross? Why, was he, why, why is it said that he's the atoning sacrifice? Now, here's an interesting thing, and I kind of struggled with this. Um, If you go back in Genesis, it says that Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
So here we have, and I just want to throw this out here. There's, if, if no one is righteous without Christ, right? Because we can basically say without Christ, no one is righteous. But now you go back to Genesis and you have Abraham and it says that he was credited with righteousness. How is that possible? And, and I guess the question is, is if, if Abraham had righteousness, then why did Jesus need to come? Any thoughts? What's that? So here it is. Yeah. He was not, he did not have righteousness. He was not credited with righteousness because he was doing everything right, because he was living a perfect life, uh, because he was living according to the law. And it actually was not because he believed that he was going to have a son or that he believed that he was going to be the father of many nations. The reason it was credited to him as righteousness is because it talks about there is a promise that God was going to give through Abraham. This promise was actually the seed of Abraham. And this is capital S. There's only one seed. It's not the seeds of Abraham, father of many nations. It's actually the seed. And it talks about it in Romans 4, it talks about it in Galatians 3. This seed is Christ. And so what Abraham did is he had faith in the seed. He had faith in Christ, knowing what Christ was going to do is he was going to be the atoning sacrifice. And outside of time, he actually said, yes, I believe I have faith in that. And the father said, oh, I will credit you with righteousness, saying, I will put this in your account. And when that time comes, you can withdraw. Is that pretty cool? So it is still through Christ that we have righteousness, only through Christ. But there are those that understood it in the Old Testament and actually out of time were able to be credited with righteousness. There's Abraham, there's, there's Phineas, there's, there's David, there's a number of, of these, of kind of the great people of the faith that had this faith in God, understanding what the son was going to do and saying, I, have, I believe in that and I will take that, that righteousness as credit for when the time comes. Um, okay. Anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Romans 4, 20 through 23 just kind of confirms this. It says this, yet he, being Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. And again, this promise was the seed. And so it's saying basically that Abraham had faith in the promise, which was the seed, which was Jesus. It goes on to say, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised, and that is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's the amazing part. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, again, I'm flying through scriptures. I, I don't apologize. Uh, <laughs> For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ... And you guys understand the baptism, right? This is that it's from death to life. It is, you know, we see it over here. When we go down, we die to self. When we come up, we actually become alive to Christ. And so it is, it is through this that we are baptized with, into Christ. And then as we come up, we're actually clothed. It says, have clothed ourselves with Christ. 
And then jumping forward to verse 29, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So wait a minute, I thought Christ was Abraham's seed. But now he says, but you are Abraham's seed. And this is so cool to see. It says, and heirs according to the promise. And so the point here is that there is one seed and we are one in Christ. And so I'm gonna, what I'm going to be doing is I'm kind of taking the pieces of the puzzle. I'm going to kind of be showing you this, 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 this. And I, my heart is that, that all of this begins to come together. And we just begin to have a greater revelation of what it means to have the righteousness of God. So, so there is, we become one in Christ, right? In, uh, in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father before he goes to the cross. And in verse 21, he says that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. We need to understand the depth of this, that we would actually be one, one seed, not, not multiple seeds, that we are one in spirit. And it's through the spirit of God that we actually are united as one. It's a greater understanding than we can comprehend right now, but that we would just begin to get, just to taste this, just begin to understand what this truly means, that every single one of us in here as we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we are truly one seed together. United as one, we are a family of God. And this is why God has this, he is going after family, he is going after unity, he is going after loving your brothers. This is why it is so important to him because he desires this body, one, who is to be the bride of Christ, spotless and blameless and and. Just like in, in Genesis where it says, and the, the husband and the wife, and they will become one flesh, what God is doing here is he's actually saying, you've got the bride and the bridegroom, and they will truly become one. This is his whole plan, that we will become one. We will be united as one, one seed. So here it is. So you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So it's through that faith and that we're all baptized into Christ, having been clothed with Christ. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You got it? Okay, this is now I want, I, this is where we're going to understand this righteousness to a greater uh, level, I believe, right here. So Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says this, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And this spirit calls out, Abba, Father. And then it says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, you've been made an heir. Here's the connection that I want you to see. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus actually comes into place when the Spirit of God comes inside of us. When we say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What I am saying is the Holy Spirit now is on the inside of me. We cannot be righteous without the Spirit of God. What grace does is grace opens the door. It gives us, it gives us this opportunity through the blood of Jesus. We have the blood of Jesus, which now basically washes the sins away. So if you look at us, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? How do we become a temple of the Holy Spirit? First of all, if there's sin, then we are separated from the Father. We're actually, there's wrath. There's the Father's wrath is upon us. There's judgment. 
It's through the blood of Jesus now that we no longer have that sin, that, that that sin is actually washed clean. And when that sin is washed clean, what happens is now the temple is there for the Holy Spirit to enter. And when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And we now take on the nature and the character of God, which is actually what the plan was from the very beginning. When Jesus, when the Father created Adam, and he breathed into him. He said he breathed life into him. What was he doing? He was breathing his spirit into Adam. And then he says, subdue the earth. Like, fill it. Fill it with my glory. Fill it because you have the spirit on the inside of you, and your children will have the spirit on the inside of them, and you will be one, and I will dwell with you. When God says, my heart is to dwell with you, you will be my children, and I will dwell with you, how does he dwell with us? We have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We are one with the Father and with Christ. This is the prayer. This is the heart of the Father. When Jesus prayed to the Father, all he was doing, he was praying the Father's heart. That we would truly be one. And it comes through the Spirit of God. It comes by grace, only by grace. In Revelation 5, it talks about, it says that there were tears that no one could open the scroll. No one could take the scroll and break the seals. And then it says, oh, but then the Lamb of God which is the right arm of God extended, that the lamb of God would be the only one, the pure, the spotless lamb, the innocent blood that was shed, the only possible way that we can actually now come back into that relationship with the Father, that he would be sin, that he would take on and be that sin offering, the only sin offering that's possible, that we could now come back into this relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. And, and it's so crazy that there's so many kind of denominations out there that they kind of shut down the Holy Spirit. Guys, it is all about the Holy Spirit. It is all about the Holy Spirit. Like when you look at every miracle that's done, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not God. It's not Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. When it says, who raised Christ from the dead? The Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead. Who did the miracles? The Spirit of God did the miracles. The Spirit of God is who's on this earth today for us as a deposit for what's to come. So I just, I go, how do, you, how do you pull the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, out of all this stuff and say, oh, that was for the past times? It is all about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when we are the righteous, what is being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Holy Spirit on the inside of us nature of God on the inside of us. And, and here's what I want to say about this. Uh, actually, let me just, I'll just, here's a, something just to prove this point here. Galatians 3.14 says, He, Christ, redeemed us that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise and he's referring to this promise of righteousness, but what he says here is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it, what, it, what we realize here is this Holy, the Holy Spirit coming on the inside of us is this position now we carry of righteousness. Uh, all right, I'm going to kind of rip through things because I have a few more things to cover here. Uh, this is a really cool point that I want you to see. Um, so I just felt like the Lord was kind of showing me these things, and I'm like, I just get to, 
this is the fun part of preaching, of, of speaking up here, is I just get to go, oh, this is what God just showed me. Check this out. Oh, check this out. So you guys get to kind of get the, the uh, what I've been just going through this past week. Um, so our righteousness is, is Holy Spirit indwelling in us, right? How cool is that? Now, this is what I want us to understand as well, is that in that, if we have the Spirit who's on the inside of us, this is how, when, when it says that we are sons of God, I, I'm going to kind of break some theology here, and I know uh, you guys might not like this, but I think you, once you understand this, you will. So just hang with me for a moment. You don't see in the scriptures where it says daughter of God. You actually see son of God. Sometimes you see child of God, children of God. But it's, most of the time, it's sonship, it's son of God. I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. Okay, so jump, I'm going to take you back. Uh, let's go to Galatians 4, 6, and 7 again. And it says, because you are sons. Now, I, I can even say in the past, I always, I'll try to change that because you're sons and daughters. Um, but no, for you, for the women as well, you are sons. And, and bear with me for a second. <laughs> you're going, no, I'm not. I'm a daughter. No, you're not. You're a son. <laughs> and here's why you're a son. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So the spirit of Christ is in every one of us, right? And here's what the spirit does. The spirit calls out, cries out to the father, Abba, father. What does the father do? What does any father do when, when a son cries out? You have the spirit of Jesus Christ on the inside of us crying out to the father. The father looks back down and goes, son. Not because I'm a guy or because I'm a girl, but because of who's inside of me, this is who the father sees. He sees the spirit of, of Christ on the inside of us and he says, that's my son. You're my son. Not you're my daughter. Christ was, an, Christ was a son, right? So when, when we understand this, that we can go, we are sons of God, you are a son of God. Not because you're a guy or a girl. This is, has nothing to do with the transgender thing. Just want to... <laughs> you are a son of God because Christ is on the, ins on the inside of you. Does that... have? This was just kind of revelational to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it now. So look at this. I want you to read now, listen to this verse. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This all of a sudden takes on a different meaning, right? For all of you were baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? We're sons. We're sons of the Most High, not because of who we are, but because who's on the inside of us. The Spirit of Christ is on the inside of us. And what is the Spirit of Christ always doing? Abba, Father! And what's God doing? My son, you are now an heir 
because of the spirit who's on the inside of you, because of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you. To me, that's really exciting. Uh, By the way, for men, let me just say, you are also the bride of Christ. (laughs) Women, your sons, men, you're the bride of Christ. We're going to all walk out of here completely confused. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) But, but, (laughs) But we are the bride of Christ. And here's the thing. Jesus is coming back for his bride. And together, we are called the bride. And, it's, and it, I talked about it earlier. I said, just as, as the two, you know, God created Adam. He created one. And then what did he do? He separated him. It wasn't actually a rib that he took out. If you look at the Hebrew, it's he took a side out of, of, of Adam. And so they interpreted it as a, or, or translated it as a rib. He took part of Adam out of Adam. So when you look at, when, when we say that, that we're made in the image of God, in his nature, how we're made in the image of God, when, when God separated man and woman, when he put the two and, separ- and put them side by side, man alone now is not the image of God. But it says the two will become one flesh. When the two come back into one flesh as he separated, brings them back together, one flesh, now you are the full image of God. This is why you see like that God hates divorce. He hates the separation because there is something powerful about the marriage. It's the marriage here and then it's the marriage with the bridegroom. And so what we see, of course, is the God of this world. What's the one thing that he's going to try to do? Disrupt the one thing that God is trying to do to create family. Right? To bring unity, to bring us into one with the Father. Okay. Um, Another quick point. You guys want another one? Okay. I I just thought this was so cool. I heard this and maybe I just was, it was on my mind. But when we talk about peace, you know, this is the fruit of the Spirit. There's peace, right? Uh, And here's the thing. When we Typically, when we think of peace, we think of like keeping peace with people, right? Like, okay, it's okay. We're going to, you know, I try to do it with my kids all the time because they're always fighting. I'm like, I'm trying to keep the peace. The peace of God, when, you know, we, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, came to bring peace. He also came to bring the sword. It kind of it messes us up, right? But let me explain something. Peace is not referring to peace on this earth in the way that we see peace. And I, I want you to see this in a new light because I think it's gonna, it, it'll just make this whole picture a little clearer. Peace is actually peace with God that comes through Christ. So when Christ came, he did not come to bring peace on this earth the way that we think of peace. Christ came to bring peace between us and the Father because there was wrath, there was judgment. And when he says peace... He's saying, I come to bring peace. I do it through the atonement so that now we can be one. We can be back and united together. So check this verse out. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 says this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He is the peace because of what he's done on the cross. So it says, who has made the two one, he has destroyed the barrier, that veil, the sin that, that, that separates us from the Father. It says, by dividing the wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations, 
His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. How cool is this? When we talk about peace, when we say peace, when we're talking about peacemakers, it says those that are peacemakers are sons of God. It's not talking about just making peace on earth, not talking about being at peace with people. It's talking about you're a reconciler for the Father. You're one that brings reconciliation. That's what peacemakers do. They actually reveal the Father to those that do not know Christ. They reveal Christ, the Father, through Christ to those that do not know Christ. Peacemakers are those that bring people into the kingdom. It's not those that just bring peace as the world would call peace. That when, when, when it's peace on earth, goodwill towards men, when Jesus came to the earth, was there peace in the sense of the world? Has there been peace ever since then? Not in that sense. But there is a peace that has been revealed to the earth, and it comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually gives us that peace because when the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us crying out, Abba, Father, we are now at peace with the Father. I, I know this is kind of, I'm just dumping on you right now, okay? I, I apologize, kind of. Uh, all right, I'm going to have to just skip this stuff. And then let me just say these last few things here. This is important. I, I believe there's two things that we need to understand. There's positional righteousness, and then there's righteous living. And they're both so critical. The positional righteousness, I just, I'll equate to this. It's kind of like, if you have a Ferrari in your garage, all the guys' ears perk up. If you have a Ferrari in your garage, I can, I can say, I have a Ferrari. It's in my garage. The position of that is, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. But just because I have that doesn't really do anything, does it? When that's all it is. It's kind of like, it, the Ferrari's just sitting in the garage. But, it, but when you take the key and you turn it on, and I know this is kind of a stretch, but I look at like the keys, this is like the grace of God. We have, this is the key that turns it on and you've got this fuel, this jet fuel in this thing and this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Like now, when you turn this thing on and you begin to, to ride it like it's on rails, now you begin to live in the Spirit. You begin to move and you're like, oh, this thing's amazing. So you go from positional understanding to actually operational. And that's this place I want us to go from. We have to first understand what we have. We've got this vehicle that we actually get to operate in, but man, we have to go to the second place of this, the second part of this, and actually begin to move in this, begin to operate in it. And with this understanding of we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, we can now move forward in this righteous living. Okay? Uh, so I, I mentioned it earlier, I just, it's the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that's done every miracle on this earth through, through Christ and now through us, but it is, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, that when we tap into this, when we understand this, it's going to shift everything. When you want to you see revival come, it's when we understand who we are and begin to operate in it. 
We, we cry out for revival. All we need to do is actually step into our design and our purpose of who we are, begin to drive the car. When we start to do that, everything's going to shift, I promise you. Uh, Romans 8, 4 says, we do not live according to the flesh. We live according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, it's that led. It's that guided. So it's not just the positional part. And this is the part that I, I feel like sometimes there's, these, there's false teachings out there that say, well, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's all you need. No, it's not. You actually have to pursue this righteousness. He talks about it. Paul says this. I'm going to finish with this. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6.11. He's talking to Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy. And he says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. He's talking about all the, the, the evil desires, the evil things. Flee from these things. And then he says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Then he goes, fight the good fight of faith. Guys, it's a, it is a fight. It is not just this understanding, but now it is a pursuit. We know who we are. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Now let's go for it. Let's pursue it. And he does it again. And when he writes the second time back to Timothy, he says it again. Flee. This is 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Last thing I just want to say. I, I, it's funny. I was going through this. I'm sitting here preparing this message. This was, was it yesterday? Gosh. I wish it was a few days ago. <laughs> this was yesterday. I'm, it, yesterday morning, um, I'm going through preparing this message, getting this revelation, getting this understanding, and, and I'm trying to keep the peace uh, with my kids. And I've got Caitlin and Riken, and, and all of a sudden they start going at it. And I'm like, Caitlin's walking off, Riken's like attacking her, and I'm like, oh, no, no, this is not happening. I'm like, Riken, downstairs right now. And uh, he goes downstairs and uh, turns on his radio full blast. I'm like, oh, no, this ain't happening. I know that none of you would ever do anything like this, but I went downstairs. I was so angry. And here I am. I'm preparing this message on this understanding of righteousness. I go downstairs and I grab his radio and I yank it out of the wall. I literally pull the thing out, walk out of his room and throw it on the ground and walk back upstairs. I know you guys would not do this. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. I, it took about 10 minutes. I caught my breath, went back downstairs, and Riken's crying. And, whew, and he goes, Dad, he goes, I'm really trying to control my temper. But he goes, when when you come down and, and you lose your temper like this, he goes, I don't understand like why you do this and, and I'm trying to control my temper and then you're, you're mad at me. And oh my gosh, talk about conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, Riken, I am so sorry. Like the last thing I wanna do is be an example, <laughs> the wrong example. Here I am trying to tell him, like, you need to control your temper. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we would have 
It's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I lost my self-control. I did not have the Spirit of God moving on the inside of me in that moment. And, and Riken sees it, and, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, buddy. And I just grabbed his hand, and we just spent those moments. I'm like, look, let's pray together right now that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would move in the Spirit. And I'm like, man, I messed up big time. And I, like, it just, it broke my heart that, that I, here, as I'm preparing a message, am actually doing the opposite thing. My point is, is that this happens to us. We're going to mess up. It's okay. Thank God for His grace. Thank God that, that we do mess up. But guess what we do? We pursue this with everything we have. I grabbed his hand, we began to pray, and we began to seek the Lord together. And I'm like, man, you're gonna help me, I'm gonna help you, we're gonna do this thing with the power of the Holy Spirit together. Will you guys stand? We'll we'll hit on this more. I just, man, I love you guys. I wanna see us come into the fullness of what God has for us pursuing righteousness with everything we have, that we would be that pure and spotless bride. Lord, I ask right now that you would move on our hearts. Lord, I pray that that this, what was released today, that there would be a greater revelation, greater understanding of who we are in you. We thank you for your spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. We thank you that we are truly sons of the Most High because of who you are in us. Lord, I pray that that as we move out of this place, as we leave this place today, that we would pursue righteousness with everything that we have. Lord, I thank you that we're gonna move into the fullness of being the body of Christ, that we're gonna move into the fullness of being the family of God, that we are truly coming to this place of being one with the Father, that we are one seed, we're one with Christ. Lord, empower us in this next season. Lord, I pray for just an intimacy with you. Lord, as we finish up these last four days of praying and fasting, Lord, let this be such a sweet and special time of intimacy with the Father through Christ that we would gain this greater understanding, this greater knowledge and wisdom. Lord, I thank you that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. It is that constant growth that you call us to. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray this in your precious name, in the name of Jesus, which is above all names. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. We're gonna have prayer teams up here. If you want prayer for anything, uh, we're here for you. If you have never received Jesus and you this message, you're going, what? Would you come up? <laughs> because we want you to, to step into that place of righteousness. God bless you. We'll see you.